Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in beautiful downtown Baltimore, Maryland, where I am visiting some friends and family this week. I want to thank you all for the glorious feedback on our two-part series with Andrew Brokus. He is one of a kind. There aren't that many great players who are also great communicators, instructors, coaches, whatever hat he happens to be wearing. Uh, I really enjoyed and learned a lot from speaking with him, and I'm glad that so many of you enjoyed that series. If you can call two parts a series, uh, it's always great to talk to Andrew. Definitely get his book, Play Optimal Poker. Uh, listen to his podcast, Thinking Poker. Uh, and certainly, if you are a TPE member, and there's really no reason why you shouldn't be, check out his video series. I've been really studying the one from last year's World Series of Poker main event in which Andrew finished 125th place. It's very interesting. He goes through every single hand that he played and didn't fold, and even a few that he did fold uh, pre-flop just to talk about hands that he observed at the table. I know how hard it is to get really far in the main event. I've actually finished in the top 100 twice in the nine times I've played the main uh, so I know that it's no easy task to get there, but listening to and following along with Andrew in that series is so unbelievably valuable. Uh, it's well worth the TPE membership, even if this is the only series that you watch. I believe it's 10 parts or maybe 12 parts where he really breaks down the hands, what he did and why. And it shows you that it takes a little bit of luck to get really far in the main event. Uh, and of course it takes a tremendous amount of skill. And in that 2019 main event, Andrew had both. So definitely check that out. And if you're not a member of Tournament Poker Edge, you should become one as soon as possible, help you get ready for the upcoming World Series of Poker and any other tournament series you may be planning to play. You can join for as little as $25 a month with an annual membership. So visit tournamentpokeredge.com for more details. And speaking of the World Series, I get excited every time there's a press release about the WSOP. I'm a fanboy. I'm unapologetic about this. I'm not too cool for school when it comes to the World Series. And this year, there is so much to unpack one thing that I wanted to highlight about this year's schedule is they have announced that half of the tournaments, the bracelet events, will be strictly freeze-out. Now, what that means, if you don't know, is that you can't re-enter. There are no rebuys. There are no add-ons. No extra money can be added once you purchase your ticket. 
a lot of players have been harping on how so many tournament series, uh, particularly the WPT, but other series around the world as well, have been allowing for later and later registration, more and more re-entries. And the simple fact is casinos make money off of those re-entries. Uh, we've talked at length about the difference between a re-entry and a re-buy, so I'm not going to go into that here. Uh, but the bottom line is a re-buy does not benefit the house. It only benefits the prize pool and therefore the players. So casinos have gotten away from the old school rebuy tournaments and in recent years moved to a re-entry format where once you bust, you can get back in. And they've also extended the amount of time that the re-entry period lasts uh, in some cases to an absurd amount where you can basically late enter a tournament right before registration closes and have a good to excellent chance of cashing in that tournament. Now, that's where many of us pros feel like that has gone too far. Um, I feel like it just hurts the amateur players, the recreational players, players on a shorter bankroll who want to get some bang for their buck. Well, the WSOP is responding to this and a full 50% or more of this year's tournaments will be strictly freeze out, meaning just one buy-in. And once you're out, you're out. So I like it. I know Negranu likes it. Uh, let's hear your thoughts. Are you happy to see that? Well, if you're not, don't worry because the WSOP has a lot of other formats on the 2020 schedule, mostly in the very small buy-in levels. You can re-enter as many times as you like within the re-entry period. So there's something for everyone. But the one that I want to highlight this week because we have not yet had a chance to discuss it, a few weeks ago, the WSOP announced a brand new format called the Mystery bounty event. So let me describe what they're doing. It's a $1,500 buy-in. And typically in a bounty tournament with a $1,500 buy-in, you would collect $300 or maybe $500 for each person that you personally took out of the tournament. So for every player you bust, you get a bounty. Well, this year in the mystery bounty event, they are doing something really different. Some of the bounties will be $100. In fact, most of them will. But you won't know until after registration for the tournament closes, you won't know how much your bounties are worth. So you might have five or six of these bounty chips for the six players that you busted before you yourself busted. And they could very well be worth $100 each. So you would have, in that case, lost $900 in the tournament, assuming you didn't cash. But get this. One of the bounties is going to be worth $250,000. Three of them are going to be worth $100,000. And on and on down the line. And the WSOP is guaranteeing at least a million dollars in the prize pool for this event. Of course, it's going to be much bigger than that. 
but they're making that guarantee because those bounties will be totaling $1 million. One of the bounties will be worth $250,000. That's right, a quarter million dollars just for busting the lucky bounty player. And you won't know who it is beforehand. You'll have to find out afterwards. Three of the bounties will be worth $100,000 each. Six will be worth $25,000 each. Ten will be worth $10,000 each. And 80 of the bounties in this tournament will be worth $2,500 each. So they are guaranteeing at least a million dollars in total mystery bounties. Now everyone else, their bounty will be only $100. So whereas it would normally be $300 or maybe $500 for a tournament like this, they're reducing the uh, vast majority of the bounties. And then players will be hoping that each person they take out will give them a shot at this quarter million dollar prize, $100,000 prizes. Uh, so it should be really fun. It adds a little bit of a lottery element, uh, a jackpot element, if you will. I love this. I love the idea that you could bust one player and then bust out of the tournament yourself. And this will be one of the freeze outs, by the way. You can't keep buying in and keep trying to collect <laughs> those 250 and 100K bounties. Uh, I love the idea that for $1,500, you have a shot at a big score like this. It'll be interesting to see if one player collects more than one of these special mystery bounty chips. Uh, I, I think they're going to get a huge turnout for this tournament. I simply cannot wait to play it. And I think it's great for pros and recs alike. I think you're going to see action, action, action in this tournament. You know, look at it this way. If the decision is close between should I call where I think I'm in a possible coin flip situation or should I fold? I think this is great because so many players will be more inclined to take the risk, see if I can collect a lucky bounty chip. It should have a strong impact on the way players choose to play. So I'm very, very excited for the mystery bounty. Uh, a lot of players that I know are excited to play it. Some people I know that were planning on coming a little later are now going to come for this event. This is a uh, June 28th tournament. It's a freeze out with every player having a bounty on his or her head. 100 of the bounties will be mystery bonus bounties up to $250,000 cold hard cash. So it should be interesting to see exactly how they do this. Not all the details of this tournament have been released just yet by the WSOP. Uh, I know for a fact that you won't know what bounty chip you have until registration is closed. And there's a great reason for that. It's simply they want players to be buying in during the registration period. And if they found out early that someone had already busted the player with the uh, quarter million bounty, they might see their sales go down. So, uh, And also, there is talk of a random number generator. So as you collect your bounty chips, there's going to be some random way. Now, they need to do this right. They, they can't have a problem where somebody somewhere knew which bounty chip was going to be worth more. So as I mentioned, details haven't been released yet, but I'll be uh, watching with bated breath 
as they build the excitement uh, heading into the summer. Maybe silly that it's only February and Clayton's already excited for the summer. But this is just how I am. From the day that schedule comes out, I start to look at which tournaments I want to play. And it's the one thing I look forward to the most every year is the World Series of Poker. So I hope that some of you will come and play in the Bounty event with me. Now, before we get to this week's strategy segment, I want to talk just quickly here about Phil Galfond. Uh, He announced this week that he's putting a freeze on his heads-up cash game match as part of the Galfond Challenge. I'm sure many of you have heard about this and maybe even been watching on Phil's poker site. He's basically getting crushed by this unknown player named Venny Vidi, which if you don't know, that's that means we came, we saw in Latin. So I'm not really sure. I, I guess the, the next part is we conquered, right? And uh, so far, Venny Vidi has been conquering Phil Galfond and he posted a very long explanation about why he's freezing the match. And by the way, guys, it costs him $3,000 a day to not play against Venny Vidi on the days that they had previously scheduled to play. But Phil has always been very transparent on Twitter and other social media about what's going on with him. This heads up match, uh, he's basically getting crushed day in and day out. They're playing heads up, pot limit Omaha, very high stakes. He's down 900,000 pounds already, and it's there's no end in sight. They've played about 10,000 of the scheduled 25,000 hands. And so they had a rule previously in place that if either player decided to suspend the match on a day when it was already previously decided they would play, such as every day this week, that player would pay a penalty of $3,000 per day. Now, if Galfon decides he does not want to finish the match, he can pay a buyout in addition to the amount that he's already lost, I think of $200,000. And so, I mean, the details of the challenge are out there, but I just wanted to talk about the mental health piece. Uh, I've suffered in my career. At one point, I believe it was 36 or 37 consecutive tournaments without a single cash. And for a live player, that's basically almost a whole year, especially a part-time live player like me. I mean, I know I play more tournaments than some of you guys, but many of you are out there playing, you know, really grinding in the live streets to the tune of 100 tournaments a year. Uh, It can be hard when you're in the middle of a severe drought. I mean, he's in a major losing streak. I think that he's played something like 15 sessions and only won once against this Veni Vidi guy, which again is a player whose identity is as of yet unknown. We believe he is in either Italy or Greece. And Phil basically said, you know, this is starting to affect my mental health. So I'm going to take a mental health break. Uh, of course, I know I'm, I'm glad to pay the $3,000 a day to not play and not continue to get crushed <laughs> by this guy on a daily basis. It can really mess with your mind, being in the middle of a long losing streak. Uh, what I always tried to tell myself was, if you're playing well, eventually things will swing back the other way. 
And for me, after that long streak I had, I can't remember if it was 36, 37, it may have even been 39 consecutive tournaments, I actually won first place in two consecutive tournaments after that long dry spell. So you never know exactly when the streak is about to end. But when you're in the middle of it, sometimes it can just feel like you can do nothing right. And your confidence can start to suffer. It's very difficult to keep your confidence up in the middle of a losing streak. And that's why it's so important to separate your results from your decisions. You know, after I won two tournaments in a row, I may have falsely thought that I was the best player in the world. And after losing 35, 36, 37 in a row, I may have thought that I was the worst player in the world. Of course, neither of these is true, but it's important to keep that in mind and not get too emotional about how things are going. As long as you are playing within your bankroll, and if you're not, you need to either move down in stakes or sell shares of your actions so that you're not putting your livelihood at risk. I mean, of course, your livelihood is always somewhat at risk, but we try to keep what they call the risk of ruin down by playing within the bankroll. Unless you're like me and you have another source of income, it's paramount that you play within your bankroll and reduce your risk of ruin. So as long as you're doing that, I think you just have to play through the streak and just continue to play your best. Don't try to force your way back into winning by becoming more aggressive and trying to (laughs) just bang your way back into profitability. And by the same token, you don't want to get gun shy. Well, the last five times I raised with Ace Jack, I got three bet. So this time I'm just going to limp in with Ace Jack. That's also obviously a huge mistake. You have to play with solid fundamentals. And this is where I think solvers can really come in handy. You can always go back and see what Pio thinks of your play. And even if it didn't work out this time for you, having those computers sort of uh, <laughs> give us a pat on the back and say, you played it well, it just you just didn't win, I think can help you keep your your mentality, if you will, in check. And it's much easier said than done. Every time I've gone through an extended losing streak, and I've had probably two or three in my 12-plus year career, uh, it's very hard to keep a positive attitude and not to feel that you're somehow snake bit. But you have to understand, that's just human psychology. Our brains are designed to help us avoid pain. And losing, especially losing and losing and losing and losing and losing, is very hard on your psyche. And that's why we all remember the losses more vividly than the wins. And that's why every poker player I know thinks he or she is unlucky. The truth is we all have the same luck and it's just important to remember that. So I want to chime in here and say, I think Phil Galfon is doing the right thing by taking this break. Obviously, $3,000 a day is not a small sum, but compared to what he's liable to lose, if he keeps playing when he's in the wrong mindset, I think it's a bargain. I just hope he can get it together mentally and come back fresh 
and put on a good show for everyone who's watching and following along and rooting for him on his poker website. So good luck, Phil. No hard feelings for how you never came on my podcast, even though I invited you (laughs) to promote your new website. Uh, That's neither here nor there. As you guys all know by now, one of my big goals, one of my big focus points this year is playing with the right mindset and only playing when I'm in the right frame of mind to play. So uh, I I definitely support Phil's decision uh, to sit it out for a while until he's feeling better and more confident and just mentally stable and ready to get in there and fight against this player who is obviously a very strong heads-up PLO pro and get those 25,000 hands in so he can move on to his heads-up match against Bill Perkins in the Thirst Lounge. Okay, so enough about that. Let's get into some strategy from the 2019 World Series of Poker main event. So it's getting late on day six, and the blinds are 80,000, 160,000, with a 160K big blind ante. So there's already 400,000 in the pot. Uh, Something like 38 players left in the main event. And it seems like the less experienced players are tightening up while the more experienced players are jockeying for position, trying to build their stacks for the final table by and large. So we're going to stay at the same table we discussed in a previous episode with Sam Greenwood kind of leading the charge. Uh, In this hand, he opens under the gun with the ace five of hearts. Now, here's the thing. Typically, if I saw a player make a opening raise from under the gun, I would generally put that player on a strong hand. I think at this point, we all know that that's the correct default when you see an under the gun open. But here's the thing about Sam Greenwood. He's been running this table over for quite some time. I mean, not completely. He has a few uh, capable opponents, including Chris Unikin, who we definitely discussed on a previous episode. Uh, Very accomplished professional player. I mean, he's on the tight side, but not so much that you can run over him. But generally, the table is populated by players who at least seem to be playing a cautious and scared, please God, let me get to the final table of the main event style. Now, you guys know me. You know, I don't play that style. (laughs) Some of you would say to a fault, I'm on the other end where I like to show up at final tables with the chip lead. And it seems to me that Sam Greenwood is in that camp as as well, at least pre-flop. He's been opening more, well more than his fair share of hands, which is why when the action folds to a player named Manole on the button, and I believe he's a South American player, possibly Brazilian, uh, and he's got pocket queens, and he's only got 7.3 million in his stack. So the way I look at that is his M is less than 20, uh, the way most of you will probably 
look at it is that he's got uh what is that 50-ish big blinds either way he should be three betting with the queens here the way i look at it greenwood's been very active at this table i now have the third best possible starting hand against the most active player at the table that to me is more pertinent evidence than the fact that there's been a raise from under the gun. So I think this is a very clear three bet and a mistake for Manole to just call here on the button. Especially because when we do three bet from the button, players tend to think that we have a wider range. It seems like the button three bet with the suited connectors, with the suited aces, that a lot of people mix that in more from late position than they would from, say, middle position or definitely early position. I mean, I think that Manole, had he been in third position, would certainly fold a hand like ace-10 suited, eight-seven of diamonds. Like Those are hands that he's not even thinking about playing from that position, but he might well choose to play with a three-bet in position on the button. So he chooses to just call here, and I think that's a mistake. He also allows the big blind, Kudos, who we spoke about in a previous episode as well, another South American player who's been very tight, very slow, very cautious, and frankly quite annoying to watch as he takes forever to just check all the time. And he calls with... King Jack offsuit from the big blind. And both of these players have Manole well covered. Greenwood with about 11, both of them with approximately 11 million uh, tournament chips. So Manole, Manole is the short stack here. And here's another problem with not three betting. By just calling and allowing the big blind to come along, with probably a fairly wide range. Manole is setting himself up for, although he's in position, he's got a lousy stack-to-pot ratio. There's now 1.3 million in the middle, and Manole has about 7 million behind for an SPR of, what is that, about 5.5? That's not the setup you want here. You want to be building the pot to where your SPR can be more in the three range. And the reason why is because you should be very comfortable committing all your chips to the pot on like a nine high flop or a 10 high flop with the over pair. However, when your SPR is five or five and a half or six, you should not be comfortable getting all in with an over pair of queens because there will be so many more chips being shoveled into the pot that usually the queens will be behind when called. So he's making his life hard by not defining his hand, by not three betting and giving himself a chance to win the pot pre-flop and by not building the pot when he has what is in all likelihood the best hand at the table. Manole uh, has shot himself in the foot by just flatting. And we see a flop, and it comes. Ace of clubs, six of spades, five of clubs. 
So Sam Greenwood has flopped top and bottom pair, and his two opponents have basically nothing. Uh, well, I can't say nothing because Manole could still have the best hand, but even when his queens are good, I think that he can expect to be outplayed by the great Sam Greenwood more often than not. So, uh, yeah, I don't mean to harp on this, but it really bothers me the way players tighten up so much when there are a few tables left in the main event. And in this case, I think it's such a big mistake. So kudos checks and Greenwood with top and bottom decides to check as well. Not scared of the wet board, a six, five with two clubs and Manole checks behind. So the pot remains 1.3 million and we see a turn card, which is the nine of clubs, which basically completes everything. So the seven, eight got there. The flush draw got there, and kudos checks again. Greenwood, still holding top and bottom pair, chooses to check once again on this card. And here I think this is a, a debatable decision. I think he can still get value from uh, weaker aces, hands like ace-10, ace-9, ace-jack that may not have three-bet preflop and now may have even picked up a flush draw on this card, uh, would certainly call a bet here. But I suppose that Greenwood decides to keep the pot small because, as I mentioned, everything did get there. And, of course, Manole, scared to put more chips into the pot, just hoping he can check it all the way down and that Pocket Queens will be the winner, which I think will never happen. I think when... Greenwood does not have him beat. He's going to bet and get him to fold the queens too much. And I think that when uh, it checks all the way through, the queens will never be good. Just my opinion, but that's the way I see this one. And Manole also checks. So the pot's still at 1.3 million. And the river is the nine of diamonds, which pairs the board. So the final board, ace, six, five with two clubs, the nine of clubs on the turn, completing the flush, and then the nine of diamonds on the river, pairing the board, and therefore counterfeiting one of Greenwood's flopped two pair. So kudos checks again. And in this spot, I don't know if Sam Greenwood has a bet anymore. Uh, can he get called by worse? I mentioned on 4th Street he was I thought he should bet at least some of the time to target hands like ace-10, ace-8. Uh, well, those hands are now beating him, so he doesn't want to do that anymore. Uh, so Greenwood probably sees what I see there and checks. Manole does not stab at this pot with his queens. He's not going to turn that hand into a bluff. It's just not in his nature. I'm not sure it would have worked anyway, but he checks behind and makes it easy. For Greenwood to turn over ace five, the counterfeited top and bottom pair that's now just aces and nines with a six kicker and win the smallish pot. So I could tell you it might not be a lot of fun to watch a hand like this shake out on Poker Go, but that's not why I don't enjoy it. I just think that when an aggressive player opens another pot and we have a hand 
that can go to war against that aggressive player. We need to do just that. Preserving this stack and trying to take what is now a below average stack to the final table or just to try to climb up a few more pay levels. Like right now, I think the payout for 38th place is something like 160000 and it's going up to 180000 And if two more players drop out, I just don't think that's the way to approach a tournament, especially a huge tournament like this one. You know, who cares about $20,000 when there's $10 million for first place? I know I was pounding the table on this point uh, when I had my own deep run last year, but it just comes up again and again in these big tournaments. So obviously the end result of the hand is that Sam Greenwood goes on to win a relatively small pot, particularly considering the strength of his hand on the flop. And my blood pressure rises watching no one try to take claim of this bracelet. Bottom line, in, <laughs> in my opinion, the bracelet, the championship bracelet, generally goes to the player who tries the hardest to get it. So watching them consider ICM and think about not wanting to make the biggest mistake of their lives on TV is not fun for the viewer, but it's also not good poker which is probably why it's not fun for the viewer. I believe the main event is a golden opportunity. How many times in your life will you have a shot at $10 million? Unless you already have $10 million, then you can play high rollers all the time and <laughs> have more frequent shots at million-dollar payouts. But for the rest of us, if you get that far, and I can promise you all this, if I ever get that far again, I'm going to try to win the damn thing instead of trying to ladder up in a spot like this one. So that'll do it for this week's episode. We'll have some more hands next time around. want to just thank everybody for all of your tweets at Clayton Comic, and especially those of you who have taken the time to write a five-star review for us. On iTunes, it really does help a lot, and I've noticed that we've gotten some new ones of late. If you enjoy this weekly free podcast, courtesy of my favorite website, tournamentpokeredge.com, uh, please take a moment, if you can, and give us a nice review and help us climb the ranks in the crowded world of poker podcasting. So, for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
Love nobody. Can't read my, can't read my. No, she can't read them. 